Hello, my friends. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Trudeau Foundation. Did you know that 150 million of your tax dollars was put into that thing more than 20 years ago? So it's more than 200 million's worth now. And that the Trudeaus are perpetually guaranteed to be on the border. I'm talking about the Trudeau family. It's so super gross. By the way, their whole board resigned today. I'll take you through what it means and how the Trudeaus have used it as a slush fund and for money laundering for 20 years. But first, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's the video version of this podcast. It's good for showing you documents, for showing you proof of things. I'm going to read to you from the Trudeau Foundation's own publications because I don't think you would believe what I have to say about them if I didn't show you the proof. Go to rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe. It's eight bucks a month. And by the way, we need the dough because we don't take any money from Trudeau, obviously. And we don't um, get any money from YouTube. They've cut us off. So we rely on you. Go to rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe. Eight bucks a month. Keep us strong. All right, here's today's show. Tonight, the entire board of the Trudeau Foundation resigns in disgrace. What's the truth about their Chinese money laundering? It's April 11th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. The Trudeau Foundation was a scam from the very beginning. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, there is a U.S. tradition that former presidents, when they retire, they set up presidential libraries, which are really shrines to themselves and their ideas. They're libraries in that there's a lot of historical documents about those presidents that are there. They're also museums and they're privately funded. That's, I think, the most important thing. Political donors or friends of the president They feel pretty partisan. Uh, We're showing you some images from the Reagan Library right now, but the key part about all of those presidential libraries is they're privately funded, so who cares what they do? Not so with Canada's Trudeau Foundation. See, the Trudeau family doesn't give anyone money. They take money. And in 2002, they set up the biggest slush fund in Canadian history, and they took $125 million from Canadian taxpayers and just put it in the piggy bank and put the Trudeau family in charge of it. I'm serious. You might know that most programs, most institutions in public life, they get annual grants. They have a budget. The budget can be increased or decreased. They can be rewarded for excellence or punished for corruption, whatever. But the thing about the Trudeau Foundation is they got an eternity of money in advance in a lump sum jackpot given to them by a liberal government that could never be taken away by future governments. And that was insured by having family members in charge. It was a slush fund for Trudeau children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren who couldn't make it on their own. I mean, there's Sarah Coyne the illegitimate daughter of Pierre Trudeau, the product of his affair with his mistress, Deborah Coyne. Yes, she's a relative of the Globe and Mail columnist, Andrew Coyne, too. Canada really is a small club, and you're not in it. Um, I show you that because this is a Trudeau family fund. As you can see, there's Alexandre Trudeau there. He's Justin Trudeau's brother, uh, who, like Justin Trudeau, just can't get enough dictators in his life. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but he made a propaganda movie for the dictatorship of Iran called The New Great Game. He 
It was literally paid for by Iran. And then he wrote a pro-China book, literally paid for and published by the Chinese dictatorship. Obviously, Justin Trudeau himself was on the Trudeau Foundation too. So many journalists show up at the trough. Um, you might see this one, for example, Chantal Bear. She's on TV all the time giving her opinion on things including Trudeau. Excuse me. Um, she doesn't actually ever mention her affiliation with the Trudeau Foundation. That's strange, isn't it? It would be like someone talking about automobiles on TV without mentioning that they work for Ford. So anyways, here's the big news this morning. Um, a statement from the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation, resignation of the board of directors and president and CEO dated Montreal April 11th, in recent weeks, the political climate surrounding a donation received by the foundation in 2016 has put a great deal of pressure on the foundation's management and volunteer board of directors, as well as on our staff and our community. The Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation is an independent, nonpartisan scholarship organization created with broad support in the House of Commons in 2002. The circumstances created by the politicization of the foundation have made it impossible to continue with the status quo, and the volunteer board of directors has resigned, as has the president and CEO. Three directors have agreed to remain on an interim basis so that the foundation can continue to meet its obligations pending board renewal, including towards its scholars, mentors, and fellows. We would like to thank Pascal Fournier for her work as president and CEO over the past five years, as well as all the members of the board of directors. That's it. That's the whole press release, except for it's BS, obviously. In recent weeks, the political climate surrounding a donation received by the foundation in 2016 has put great pressure on the foundation, really, just in, in recent weeks, as well as on our uh, staff and our community. Was it just really in recent weeks? No, you've known everything about that grant for seven years. It was highlighted in recent weeks because of more news about Justin Trudeau's corruption with Communist China, but you were the original corrupt money launderers. I even mentioned it in my 2020 book, China Virus. It is not a secret. It's been well known for years. Here's a whole news story about foreign donations to the Trudeau Foundation slush fund back in 2016. This is from the National Post. Money began to rain on Trudeau Foundation once Justin took over Liberals. Analysis shows the National Post analysis confirms one in six donors, if academic institutions are excluded, have affiliations with organizations currently lobbying the government. And then this incredible chart shows that really no foreigners donated to the Trudeau Foundation until Justin Trudeau became the leader of the Liberal Party in 2013. And everyone knows Justin Trudeau's for sale. Everyone knows it today. Everyone knew it back then. He's been convicted by the Conflict of uh, Interest and Ethics Commissioner. How many times now? Do you doubt that we'll find out one day that he took money from Pfizer and Moderna? This is a picture of that big Chinese Communist Party donor posing with Trudeau back in 2016. Everyone knew. The Trudeau Foundation knew. There's really no news here other than for the first time the money launderers will be asked to do some splaining. So they all quit and ran away. I just don't think that's how it works, though, uh, when you're a director of a company. Uh, but back to their press release. The Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation is an independent, nonpartisan scholarship organization. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you keep lying. Uh, that doesn't make it true. It was never independent. Here, let me read from the bizarre corporate structure of this slush fund. This is from their own website. I have never heard of anything this before. In accordance with the Canada Not-for-Profit Corporations Act, the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation is governed by two bodies, 
the foundation's members and its board of directors. Okay, it sounds normal, but look at this. The foundation's membership is limited to 30 members. Six seats are reserved for members appointed by the Minister of Innovation, Science, and Economic Development Canada. And another three seats are reserved for liquidators of the succession of the late Right Honorable Pierre Elliott Trudeau. What? Huh? So Justin Trudeau appoints six foundation members in his capacity as prime minister and like some sort of inherited aristocracy, Pierre Trudeau's children and grandchildren and, and that uh, illegitimate daughter by a mistress, they're, they're just perpetually <laughs> beneficiaries or director of this, of this fund, um, where $125 million of our tax money was put. It's literally designed as a way for no Trudeau to ever have to work again. No wonder the Chinese targeted it. It was literally the Trudeau family piggy bank, and Trudeau was famous for milking every dollar and cent he could from anywhere. When, when Trudeau was on the board of Katimovic, that was a government-funded youth group, Trudeau would expense costly meals and liquor, but of course he did. Let me read a bit from The Sun. Uh, Trudeau had a lunch for two that included fine brandies. On another occasion, he billed $93 for Susie lunch for two. Other receipts show a taste for the premium Grey Goose vodka. In 2005, Trudeau charged a taxpayer-funded group for a $350 steak dinner in Halifax. Documents don't show how many people were present, and questions about properly documenting expenses were subsequently raised by an auditor. Trudeau has always done this. At Katimovic, when he used to give speeches for hire, he'd build charities $30,000 a pop to speech. Even mental illness charities, which you, he said he cared about because his mom had problems like that, he literally made the charities pay him. He didn't donate to them. They had to pay him even when he was an MP and giving speeches was his job. And that's just what he built through his own speaking tours. Of course, his whole family got in on it through the corrupt, crooked WE charity funded by the Kielbergers, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Crooks all around. All right, back to the press release. The circumstances created by the politicization of the foundation have made it impossible to continue with the status quo, and the volunteer board of directors has resigned, as says the president and CEO. What does that mean? The circumstances created by the politicization of the foundation. What does that mean? It was always political. It's always been a liberal slush fund. And they were happy to make it a slush fund for another political party too, the Chinese Communist Party. That didn't just happen now. That happened along, you know, 2013, started going crazy in 2015, 2016. But as you see, the board was fine with all that. They just don't want to be accountable or responsible for what they've been doing. Back to their press release. Three directors have agreed to remain on an interim basis so the foundation can continue to meet its obligations pending board renewal. Yeah, I would hope so. Uh, we would like to thank Pascal Fournier for her work as presidency over the last five years. Oh, the things I bet she's, I bet she's seen some things. If Pascal Fournier was the CEO for the last five years, she can't just run and hide. Everything she did must be scrutinized. Forensic auditors must be called in to review everything. This is the money laundering arm of the Liberal Party and the Trudeau family. And frankly, a lot of that money is ours. $125 million from taxpayers 20 years ago. That's worth about $200 million now. $125 million, sorry. This is a, it was given to the biggest wastrels and leeches in the country, the biggest mooches. What are they doing? You know, I've just got to show you how Justin Trudeau reacted when he was asked. He was asked about this twice today. And he told similar lies. It looks like he's been synchronizing his messaging 
with the Trudeau Foundation. Here's the first time he was asked about it. And he had his down pat lines. Tell me if you can spot the two lies here. Here's Trudeau being asked the first time. Mr. Trudeau, Catherine Ellsworth with Global News here. This is in regards to a Trudeau Foundation question. The entire board and the CEO of the foundation resigned this morning. They cited the recent politicization of their work. Are you concerned about the long-term stability of the organization and that the fallout from allegations of foreign interference is extending beyond your government? As you well know, uh, the Trudeau Foundation is uh, a a foundation uh, with which I have absolutely no intersection. Uh, it was established uh, to promote uh, knowledge and uh, academic research into the humanities uh, following uh, the death of my father uh, and has had uh, a, an extraordinary impact on uh, academic institutions and on uh, you know, brilliant Canadians. Um, it is a shame to see the level of uh, toxicity and political polarization uh, that is going on in our country these days, uh, but I am certain that the Trudeau Foundation uh, will be able to continue to ensure uh, that research into the social studies and humanities at the highest levels across Canadian uh, academic institutions uh, continues for many years to come. Oh, did you get that? So it's toxic to ask about Chinese Communist Party donations. It's not toxic to take those donations and launder them through the foundation. You see, it's toxic to ask about it. And my favorite part is there's no connection at all between Justin Trudeau and the Trudeau Foundation and Alexandre Trudeau and his um, half-sister and the family. And no, 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 you're, you're toxic for mentioning it. Those are two lies in what, about 60 seconds? And here he is asked about it later in the day and he gets downright angry. He says that, other people are politicizing the Trudeau Foundation. Really? Who else is laundering money from foreign dictatorships? Look at the second time he was asked about it. In regards to the CEO and the board of directors resigning from the Trudeau Foundation, um, given, that politicize, uh, given that they cited politicization, will you continue to appoint people connected to the foundation to do work for your government? Those people who are trying to get short-term political gain by increasing polarization and partisanship in this country by launching completely unfounded and ungrounded uh, attacks against uh, charities or uh, foundations um, must not succeed. Canada is a place uh, where um, we support good works of all different types um, and we need to continue to do that. Uh, I, am, I have no doubt that the Trudeau Foundation, like foundations and charities that conservative politicians have attacked in the past, uh, will continue to do the excellent work that it will do. But as I've said many times, um, it's a foundation in my father's name that I have uh, no direct or indirect connection with. What a crook. What a gaslighter. He blames others for doing what he himself did. That's the key to understanding Trudeau. When he calls you a sexist, remember, he's the guy that sexually assaulted Rose Knight in Creston, B.C. When he calls you a racist, remember, he's the guy that dressed up in blackface so often he lost count. Whatever Trudeau accuses you of doing, that is an easy way to understand what he's thinking about because he did it. Let me close 
with a video that Justin Trudeau published himself on a completely different subject because he thought it made him look smart and everyone on Trudeau's staff thought it made him look smart. But it doesn't. It makes him look actually astoundingly, staggeringly out of touch, like a man who has never in his entire life had to pay for anything, ever, anywhere. He thinks that this video is financial advice to young people because it's how he lives and has always lived. I saw this in a Pierre Polyev tweet, actually. Want to know why one in five people are forced to skip meals while nine in 10 youth believe they'll never afford a home and why our debt has doubled? Just listen to the guy running our economy talk for a minute about credit cards. And he's right. And Justin Trudeau has never had to balance a budget. They'll just balance themselves. Listen to this guy. Yes. You know, you know if you're use, you used your credit card the first time, you're using your credit card to in invested a huge flat screen TV home theater system for your basement, okay, you know, that's going to be something you're going to be paying off for, for a while. But if you use your credit card to go back to school, or if you use your credit card, uh, you, you go into debt to uh, build an expansion on your house uh, that you're then going to be able to uh, sell your house for more, if you're making investments that are going to return, that is how you grow a strong economy. Because quite frankly, confident economies invest in themselves. And that's exactly what Canada has done, and that's why Canada is looking so good for the future. And our fiscal path is responsible, restrained, and is going to uh, leave people with more opportunities, not burden, in the coming years. Yeah, guys, just put things on your credit cards. I mean, what's credit card interest these days, 25%? No problem. I mean, why not? Some Chinese Communist Party billionaire will just come along and pay it off. That's how it always works for him. Or maybe the Trudeau Foundation slush funder Katimovic. Hey, I bet their document shredders are working around the clock at the Trudeau Foundation. Don't you? I bet Trudeau's getting some top advice from Hillary Clinton on how to bleach hard drives and triple delete emails. Don't you? <laughs> what a crook. Stay with us for more. Welcome back. Well, David Lametti is best known to me, at least, as the man who took Jody Wilson-Raybould's chair. She was the justice minister who was too ethical for Justin Trudeau, so she simply had to go. What a disgrace that was to Trudeau. And you can see that his natural governing style is the type favored by the Trudeau Foundation. Uh, but um, Lametti has made news in the last uh, day or so for something else. He was speaking to the Assembly of First Nations, and there was a question put to him about a 1930 constitutional amendment that gave certain powers to the provinces over natural resources. Obviously, this is extremely important to provinces like Alberta and Saskatchewan. He, he was asked... Uh, by the Assembly of First Nations, which is an interest group, a special interest group. They have their own agenda. And they ask the question, which is fair enough. They can ask any question they like. Would he rescind that law, uh, presumably to take the constitutional power away from those provincial governments to give them, I presume, to some sort of indigenous government? Why ask, else would they be asked? And he said he wouldn't rule it out. He said he would consider it, and he said it would not be uncontroversial if he did. Well, 
the provinces of the three, the premiers of the three prairie provinces went on high alert, each of them putting out press releases and sending a, signing a joint statement appalled at that. And let me read to you verbatim, I have it on my phone here, Lametti's response to their response, and then we're going to call in our expert on this matter. Here's what Lametti said when the three Western premiers were manning the battle of uh, the battlements. He said, I am the minister responsible for the implementation of the United Nations Declaration Act into federal laws and policies. Last week, I met with First Nations leaders to discuss its implementation as part of a session of the Assembly of First Nations that was focused exclusively on the UN Declaration Act. Amongst the many questions I was asked, the Natural Resources Transfer Act was raised by First Nation chiefs on a couple of occasions. It is part of my job to listen to those concerns. To be clear, at no point did I commit our government to reviewing areas of provincial jurisdiction, including that over natural resources. The focus of our government's work is to co-develop an action plan with Indigenous partners that will show the path we must take towards aligning federal laws and policies with UNDRIP. That's the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Persons. Joining us now via Skype from Edmonton is one of our favorite people, Lauren Gunter of the Edmonton Sun and uh, the Post Media chain. He joins us now. Lauren, that is not a denial <laughs> by uh, David Lametti. He's saying, in fact, that his job is to make Canadian law compliant with the UN. He's actually yep. saying the most terrifying thing he could say. That's my reaction. What do you think? Yeah, you know what? It would be very difficult, if not impossible, for the federal government to take away natural resource powers from the provinces. The 1930, which he calls an act, it's not actually an act, it's an agreement, the Natural Resources Transfer Agreement from 1930, put constitutional authority over natural resource development exclusively with the province. There have been several court decisions since that time that recognized the transfer agreement as part of the constitution. And then in 1982, when, when we repatriated our constitution from, from London, uh, it was specifically outlined in the division of powers in section 92 that the provinces have exclusive control over their non-renewable natural resources. So I, I think it would be virtually impossible for the federal government to do that. But I don't ever put it past the liberal government, the Trudeau liberal government, to try something yeah. like this, to go to the Supreme Court. You know, the, the Supreme Court essentially said that the carbon tax was unconstitutional, that the federal government didn't have the power to tell the provinces what taxes they had to charge or tax them federally instead. Didn't have that power, but it was so important to save the planet that the Supreme Court was prepared to override the Constitution. Huh. Well, can you envision a time where the majority on the court, the court now is about six to three liberal to semi-conservative. Can you, can you imagine the scenario in which the six on the Supreme Court majority voted in favor to take natural resources away from the provinces, even though the Constitution says they belong with the provinces. Yeah. I can imagine them deciding to take it away because, well, national reconciliation is just so much more important than provincial rights. Yeah. And so do I trust Lametti with that, whatever, that non-denial denial that he, uh, that he had there? Do I trust him? No, I don't trust him. I, I yeah. don't think it's going to be tried. I don't think it would succeed if it was tried. 
but I never, ever put anything past these guys. Yeah. Well, and right now it's clear that they want to get rid of uh, the most conservative judge on the bench, Justice Russell Brown, who's uh, been taken to um, the Judicial Council because he got into some argument at a bar in Phoenix or something. So they would love to boot him out. He was a Harper appointee. Trudeau would love to appoint an Albertan, what he thinks an Albertan would be like. And yeah, it absolutely wouldn't surprise me. I mean, most important historical legislation in this country is done from our courts. It's not done in our parliament. The stuff that really changes society, they would absolutely do it. And if they would do it for climate change, of course they would do it for indigenous reconciliation. Of course they would. And that's the thing about Lametti's non-denial is instead of saying, oh, no, no, we were just brainstorming, I'm open, He's, he refers to his source of authority. We're following the UN. My job is to make us UN compliant. That's what I'm going to do. So he, yeah. In, in, yeah. instead of denying it, he referred to his basis for entertaining the idea. And, yeah. and what does Trudeau care if he outrages the prairies? He's not getting any votes in Alberta, no. Saskatchewan, and, and precious few in, in Manitoba. Yeah. He loves his fight. He's on the side of uh, Turtle Island. He's on the side of, you know, Gaia against mm -hmm. those awful mm -hmm. right wingers and oil men. Trudeau loves this fight. He wants this fight, doesn't he? Well, yeah, because he gets him votes in downtown Toronto. They could try a constitutional amendment. I don't think that even the liberals are interested in reopening constitutional negotiations. But in order to change the constitution on this case, you'd have to have a vote of seven provinces with 50% of the population. Well, first of all, you're not going to get Manitoba, Alberta, and Saskatchewan. So those three provinces only have to find one more province to upend any constitutional amendment yeah. because forestry is in the same section in the constitution as oil and gas. I think you can count on BC voting against it. Right. And then if not BC, Newfoundland, yeah. either one of those two. And maybe even Quebec. I don't think Quebec wants maybe the feds rummaging Quebec. around in their turf either. Yeah, maybe not, but you know what? They would get backdoor agreements with the feds over all sorts of things in order yeah. to do in the West. I, like, I don't, I don't have too much trouble believing that either. But the thing is, Lametti should have, should have said when he was asked the question, no, that's just not possible. We're never going to do that yeah. as theoretically as wonderful as it might be. We're never going to, he didn't say that. Yeah. And then in his denial, he didn't say that either. And the unfortunate thing is there are at least two major cases that I can think of over the last 30 years where our Supreme Court has used Canada's signature on a UN declaration as the leverage it needed to change domestic law. So yeah. can I, again, it gets back to the court. Can I see a situation under which the, the Canadian Supreme Court uses the UN declaration on the rights of indigenous persons to uh, change the Canadian constitution and override the natural resource powers of the provinces. Yeah. Yes, I can yeah. see that. Yeah. Do I think it's likely? No, but, but is yeah. it possible? Yes, it's possible. Yeah. And at that point then kiss Western Canada goodbye. Yeah. Because I will be the first person, if there isn't a separatist party in place at that point, yeah. I will start one. Yeah. You know, it's, it's incredible. And, uh, I mean, this really is, people say, oh, there's no such thing as globalism. Oh, that's just a conspiracy theory. Well, when, when you're having anonymous, unaccountable bureaucrats at the UN drafting something, 
And then Canada's justice minister says, sorry, I answer to him, not to you mere citizens. It proves all the conspiracy theories about globalism at its worst true. Here, let me read to you uh, the joint response by the three prairie premiers, mm-hmm. Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. Um, this is the version released by Scott Moe of Saskatchewan, who is, I think, pre- being pretty savvy. Danielle Smith has uh, been getting a lot of ink for her Sovereignty Act, but actually, Scott Moe, I think, is a bit ahead of her. Let me just read, and then, Lauren, I'd love your reaction. So this is the release put out uh, by the three premiers on Scott Moe's letterhead. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau needs to tell Canadians today that Federal Justice Minister David Lamenti was not speaking on behalf of the federal government when he said he would look at rescinding the 1930 Natural Resources Transfer Agreements with the Prairie Provinces and strip away their constitutional authority and control over natural resources. These agreements recognize the Prairie Provinces with the same rights over resources that all other provinces already had. So that's an important point. Is why should the exactly. why should they be made unequal again? I remember Preston Manning always talking about how the West was born unequal, and Ted Byfield would talk about that too. Imagine saying, "No, we want to go back to that two tier system." Anyway, let me finish the statement. Those rights have been fundamental to the people and the economic autonomy of Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta for nearly a hundred years. The federal government cannot unilaterally change the constitution. That's your point. It should not even be considering stripping resource rights away from the three prairie provinces. The prime minister needs to immediately retract these dangerous and divisive comments by his justice minister. And of course, he has not done so. Um, I forgot that every other province has this, and Lamenti's not talking about taking away from every other province. He's just talking about taking away from the three provinces the liberals hate. That's even that. That even gives me a little bit of hope that the current Supreme Court would find this outrageous that they would say, look, all the provinces have to be equal. So you either have to take natural resource rights away from all 10 or leave them with all 10. But right. you can't take it away from three and leave it with seven. You know, I, so I, I, as again, I, I reiterate, I don't think this is likely. Yeah. But uh, you know what? If they thought they could win an election, get some more seats in the greater Toronto area by bashing the West over natural resources. The only reason we can't save our indigenous people is the three premiers of the Prairie province. You would they do that? Of course they would do that. In a second. Of course they would do that. Should we even tolerate these people? Trudeau would probably say. Right. Now there is, (laughs) this was said about the unvaxxed. Here's, here's a silver lining for those who are on the conservative side of the aisle. Danielle Smith is in an election very soon. You know that. Like a matter of weeks. Yep. And, you know, it's not smooth sailing. In fact, I I think it's it's coin toss. You can give me your opinion if you think she's stronger than that. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing that looks better on an Alberta premier than defending the province against a marauding uh, prime minister, other than if that marauding prime minister is a liberal named Trudeau. So this may actually be this gaffe by that dopey David Lametti, who I just have so much contempt for him, mm-hmm. the way he rubber stamped the Emergencies Act, the way he was happy to take over from J- Jody Wilson-Raybould. Maybe that dopey, goofy guy, maybe he'll actually save Alberta from the NDP by giving Danielle Smith something to run on and, and something for the NDP to be on the back foot on. What do you think of that? Yeah, no, I think that's true. I, I, and and Smith is not dumb. She will recognize this for what it is, which is a, a giant gift to her electorally. 
Um, I, you know, I, I know what the polls say. I know the polls say that the NDP is either slightly ahead of the, uh, it's like slightly ahead of the UCP or they're, they're even. It, it, there's so much NDP support in Edmonton that I just don't see how that translates across the province. So they'll win, the NDP will win all 20 seats in Edmonton. Maybe they'll lose one, but I think they'll win all night. I think they'll win all 20. The UCP will win 38 to 40 of the 41 seats outside of Edmonton and Calgary. And that means they only need five or six more seats in Calgary in order to win a majority. And I think they're going to do that. But the one big question mark, the big unknown factor now is uh, Daniel Smith herself. You know, and and she she simply can't stop stepping in cow pies um, of her own making. And and so the biggest thing I hear traveling around the province is, I just don't know whether I trust Smith yet or not. I don't know whether she's premier material. And then about every three or four weeks, she comes out with something new that simply reduces whatever trust she's built up. So there's the there's the wild card. Yeah. Yeah, I can't uh, d- disagree with that. Well, listen, it's great to catch up with you. And uh, very interesting that uh, the Liberals are not backing down. They're not blazing forward, but they are not backing down. No, they're not. They're not backing down. They yeah. should have been much more emphatic much sooner. Yeah. Great to catch up with you, my friend, Lauren Gunter of the Edmonton Sun and Post Media. Nice to see you as always. Hey, welcome back. Your letters to me. Ruth Bard says your interview with Dr. Lindsay was worth the year's subscription price and then some. Funny how those pagan religions, both old and new, boil down to the same old lie, you shall be as gods. It's the oldest lie in the book. You know, I I was thinking about what Dr. Lindsay said about intuition and tacit knowledge. And, um, I mean, you don't want to just go on feelings. But when you look at anything old... When you look at medieval paintings, when you look at ancient things, you know, we can say, oh, it's superstition. They didn't know. They, they, they thought the earth was flat or they thought, you know, you, know, you think of old medicine, oh, leeches to bleed you. Like they did some crazy things and they had some crazy beliefs. But is human nature any different in 2023 than it was in 2023 BC? Or how about 2023? BC, is human nature any different? Or the impulses, the animalistic, the evil and good battle within us, is it any different now? And I think when you look to the past, when you, when you look to old texts of what's right and wrong, the Bible, the code of Hammurabi, whatever your code is, the, the, the laws of Noah, they give us, I think, a hint of the moral battles in the past. And just because we have new technology and new scientific knowledge today does not mean we're exempt in some way from the moral battles of the past. If you doubt me, just think back 80 years to the absolute violent bloodbath of the Second World War. Just look back to Chairman Mao and what he did to 85 million of his own people. Don't think for a second that humans today couldn't be just as cruel as in the dark past. In fact, crueler because technology makes it even easier to be cruel. I think we have to learn from the past because I, I feel like we're getting off kilter again. And I, I really enjoyed that conversation with James Lindsay. And I, it made me think about 
Well, I just believe that things are getting unmoored. Things are getting undone in a way that they have not been in, in a generation. Maybe not since the 1960s have, has the world been as precarious as it is now. I don't think that's me being alarmist. I think that's me just looking out my window and seeing things. That's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom. Imagine if I was an 18-year-old that I'd just detransitioned and I was already feeling vulnerable and suicidal. Imagine then if I read this message. You're not going to believe this. A child protection activist from the UK says he received death threats all the way from Canada, but from who? Appears to be a freelance writer for the CBC. Andrea Humphrey here with Rebel News, and my oh my, is it just me, or is this clown world we're living in spinning just a little too fast? Depending on your news source, it's like we live in two different parallel worlds. If you watch the CBC, for example, you might think that all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's all these people who just hate drag queens coming out to be bigots, so much so that laws need to pass now, like in Calgary where it's illegal to peacefully protest a drag queen story time because difference of opinions, I guess, are violence now. Instead of the actual violence. I mean, like when Pastor Derek Reimer was thrown to the ground protesting a drag queen story time in that city. Billboard Chris was assaulted multiple times by trans activists, while this officer, Constable Frederick Buckman, thought it was hilarious, even failed to rush forward to help him and if you've seen our report on this, she even blames him for it, for wearing his signs peacefully. But that's why we have this petition you can see at the bottom here, firebuckman.com. You can quickly go to that even on another device and share that piece if you haven't already. I'm going to personally hand that to the VPD because that's outrageous. But what I'm getting at here is depending on your media source, you know two different versions of what's happening. We bring you the other side of the story. We have no strings attached with the government. We're completely independent. So you can see things like you're seeing right now. When I say the LGBTQ plus religious zealots, I don't mean people who are just part of the LGBTQ community. I mean the ones like this, which include Antifa, like you're seeing on the screen here, doing extreme things under their name. But if you follow the state broadcasters or state heard news like the CBC, you're only going to get taste that makes you think like out of nowhere, all of a sudden, all these people just hate egg queens, which wouldn't even make sense. But maybe that's why Carmen Acuna thought she could get away with this sadistic message that she sent Ollie London. He calls it death threats. I call it more trying to convince Ollie to kill himself. But as soon as he posted about it on Twitter, she deleted it, and she also took the CBC link out of her bio that shows that she has, in fact, written for them. I did get a response back from CBC's Public Affairs Department. They say they are aware of the disturbing tweet, and although Akuna is not an employee, she is a freelance writer, they will be forwarding it to their programming department. If you're not familiar with Ali London, I recently interviewed him, and I'll link that below, where he tells everybody his recent detransitioning story after finding God. But today is a very different story, one that's frightening, shocking, and embarrassing to be happening in Canada 
become a journalist or, like I said, a freelance writer. Here is Ollie. Well, yeah. So firstly, in the last few months since I detransitioned, I've been subjected to daily death threats from you know, trans activists, uh, woke warriors, these people that preach about inclusivity and kindness. Um, but last night, you know, I don't really check my direct messages because, you know, I get so many things and I, I try to cut out the negative. Last night, as I was going through my Instagram DMs, I received the most horrific message. And I thought, you know what, let me click on it, see what this person is ranting about, see what they're saying. This person said that I should be taken to a warehouse to be tortured. I deserve to have a very horrible death and that the whole world and the media should um, relish in my torture and death. Um, you know, and it was very, it was a very long message and it was very direct and it very, very much seemed like this person almost had an intent to carry out this, um, you know, and um, I never normally share these messages because I think, you know, I don't like to give oxygen to uh, such nasty, horrible people. You know, I don't believe in that. But this instance was so shocking because what I discovered afterwards was this particular individual is actually a contributor for CBC Canada, which, um, as we all know, is a state media in Canada, you know, under Justin Trudeau's um, state government. So I was appalled. And, you know, when I looked at this person's, they had an article on CBC, they were listed as a freelance contributor. And it was funny because this whole article was about suicide prevention, mm -hmm. about, you know, how to help look at the warning signs, how to prevent suicide. And here was this person, this uh, freelance contributor for CBC News, sending me the most horrific death threats. So, no, firstly, what a hypocrite. You're writing about suicide, preaching about all of this, and then you're secretly sending death threats. Um, but, you know, it was absolutely appalling. And, um, you know, I posted on Twitter um, and I tagged them. You know, I tagged CBC, I tagged the president because, you know, it's obviously they didn't know what their contributor was saying behind the scenes. But they need to know because this person should never again be writing for Canadian state media when they are wishing the most horrific torture and death on someone. And you're right. I read that article. The hypocrisy is not lost on me. Um, it seems like she, at least from the age of 11 to 18, was a very hurting person. And here she is trying to hurt you. I would call it sort of a message to try and entice you to become suicidal, which is what she's writing about her overcoming here in a certain way here and, and coming out of cutting and stuff. I'm just going to, if you don't mind, I'm going to read a couple of the the line here because I find it just awfully sadistic what was written here it begins with I literally hope you effing die you are a piece of crap with nothing left in your life you so you target marginalized groups and shed an awful and disgusting light on the existence of Asian and trans communities now I follow you closely on what you do online you're very focused on child protection issues in in the realm of you know the harms that come to people or children when it comes to medically transitioning them and she goes on here to call you just such horrible names here um, and then accuses you of of doing something to Filipino people, which I, I couldn't quite understand. Uh, what do you think she's getting at there? 
Well, yeah, firstly, so um, a lot of people know me. I do K-pop music. Um, I have a lot of Filipino followers. So I do, you know, I do TikTok videos where I'm talking a language where I'm trying to learn. So, you know, it's related to their culture. And um, this particular individual, like you said, completely sadistic. And thankfully, I'm a tough guy. I've been for a lot of my life. I'm a super tough guy. I can handle this. But you know what, Dre, imagine if I was an 18-year-old that I just detransitioned and I was already feeling vulnerable and suicidal. Imagine then if I read this message. You know, as a, a teenager that receives this could generally take their lives. We see so many people from online bullying receive this. And I was just absolutely appalled. Um, this person is also a filmmaker um, at a school in Winnipeg as well. Yes. Um, and I just think, I just think, you know, what kind of person should be firstly writing articles for CBC Canada? Secondly, you claim to be a filmmaker, which, you know, filmmakers is about trying to help and tell people's stories. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how are you going to tell someone's stories when you're so hateful? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it just made me think we've seen so much increased violence and in trans activists recently. We saw um, Nashville, which, you know, Nashville police said is likely motivated by gender ideology. We do need to see the manifesto with that. Um, you know, we saw uh, just very recently in Colorado, a, a transgender individual was just arrested um, for plotting to um, commit a massacre at a school and local churches. Yeah. So we see this increased yeah. violence. So, you know, when I saw this, I thought, you know, maybe this person's generally going to carry out an attack on me or someone else because they're so incredibly hateful. So, you know, unfortunately in Canada, it's like, it's almost as bad as communist China in terms of the the way the government um, treats these people. They actually protect the trans activists. You know, if you're trans activists, you can scream at women, you can send them abuse, you can violently assault them. We saw um, Billboard Chris, a, a children's activist, violently attacked while the police laughed Yes. at him they laughed at him while he was being beaten and then they said that he instigated so no we're dealing with uh, a government that is akin to communist china um and you know unfortunately in canada they just side with these trans activists so i think you know it's outrageous and uh if this was any other country you know if this person was sending me these threats in the uk i know they would be you know arrested immediately and charged i know you guys have been looking at us in shock and awe uh, we're living in it here. Uh, we've had uh, reports on Chris Elston in general in the past. It's not the first time he's been assaulted. His arm was actually broken in Canada, uh, in Montreal, just for peacefully standing on the street with his signs. We hear a lot of things in Canada, and I know it's happening elsewhere, but it's the words. The words need new laws to protect the LGBTQ community. And really, it's the activists in that community, because as you know, the LGBTQ community agrees with us in a lot of areas and agrees with the activists as well. As well. But in Canada, we're actually seeing laws actually change to silence words. And you're right, mm -hmm. the real thing that's happening here, the real hate, the real violence is often coming from these activists from the left. And it is quite concerning. I'm glad that there is a huge distance between you and Winnipeg uh, from the uh, <laughs> person she is 18 years old so I don't want to go too hard on her her brain's not fully developed but I have reached out to CBC as well I haven't heard back from them yet about this but I would think at the very least this is not someone who is suitable for journalism and communicating the public if they are in fact of course sending messages like this to you thanks so much for being on Rebel News and stay safe thank you Joe I appreciate it God bless you 
we believe that an officer who thinks it's hilarious to watch trans activists beat a man for peacefully protesting, then go to our petition at fireofficerbuckman.com. Please sign it and share it so I can hand it to the VPD and so that they know we're watching and waiting for them to do the right thing. That's fireofficerbuckman.com. Shame on you, you censorious bug.